It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 248, The Maccabean Revolt, Part 2, and the Alliance with Rome. Once the Maccabees achieved independence from the Seleucids, the conflict wasn't over. In fact, in many ways, it starts anew. The Maccabeans don't get to rest. And some men of war aren't meant to rest until the war is completely over. David wasn't meant to rest. He was, but not when the kings go to war. The Seleucids attacked the Galilee region. Judas sends Simeon, his brother, with 3,000 soldiers, and he evacuates much of the populace to Judea and successfully counters the assault. Judas himself attacks the Edomites and marches to the coast in a cleansing raid of sorts, destroying altars and statues to pagan gods. He laid siege to Acre, the Seleucid capital in the region. This siege causes the Seleucids to send another army, A huge army of 50,000 comes with them, and the Seleucids achieve their first major victory over the Maccabees. Judas has 20,000 soldiers, and he faces them head-on in the field of battle. This battle, though, was a loss for the Jews, but it has a memorable story. Josephus and the Book of Maccabees document this battle of Beth Zechariah. In the midst of the battle, a Jewish soldier named Eliezer saw an elephant covered in special armor, and he supposed the enemy king was on the elephant, and he ran after it and with a spear stabbed the elephant until he killed it. The elephant collapsed on him and took his life. The king was not on the elephant, but it served as a rallying cry for the nation. Though the battle was a loss, Eliezer's bravery lives on. The cover art of this episode is an artist's rendition of this battle. He was later called Eliezer Averon, which means piercer. Further, his bravery has been commemorated with Israeli collector coins and street names in Israel and a settlement in Gush Etzon today. Judas is forced to withdraw to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is under siege, and just as provisions are getting low, it's like miracle after miracle, the Seleucids had to withdraw due to a dynastic crisis at Antioch. The Seleucids are constantly having disorder and feuds for power by their generals and the ruling family. The Seleucids propose a peaceful settlement by the general Lysias, which was concluded in the end of 163 BC. Lysias takes over the government and the Seleucids only to lose it to Demetrius, and some time later Demetrius wants full control over Judea, and Jerusalem has to be abandoned when he comes with another huge army. Judas forces the nation now to fight a guerrilla campaign against Demetrius and the Seleucids. But another dynastic struggle occurs, which forces the Seleucids to withdraw. And then the Seleucids return again, and they're defeated. This time, the Jewish state, they win the battle at Nicanor. Another thing that I haven't mentioned is that there's a great struggle internally going on inside Judea. There's a ton of Jews that are considered Hellenistic, And they're constantly working against the Maccabean reforms. And they're the ones sending letters north to request aid in this struggle. They're the ones that are egging on the Seleucids to attack again and again. So it's a true internal and external conflict. 
And now you can tell an exhaustion is probably occurring in Judea as a result of this constant seesaw battle. Regardless what happens next, it still baffles me. I get it geopolitically. You want as many allies as you can. But that's if you do it the world's way. And knowing another invasion would be coming, and they would just keep coming, and they're completely outnumbered, Judas Maccabee sends a commission to Rome to establish a treaty. He's going to Rome to make friends with the, the enemy of your enemy. The Romans and the Seleucids have been fighting for some time, and now, you know, he's fighting with the Seleucids, so why not make friends with Rome? That's his thinking. A treaty or alliance would be cemented to prevent further Seleucid invasions. In 161 BC, a treaty is concluded with the Romans, and it's written in the language of a full alliance. You attack me or my friends, we'll both attack you. The treaty has been passed down to history when we have it word for word. The agreement completely failed in its goal, and instead of preventing aggression of the Seleucids, it encourages it. The Seleucids send 20,000 soldiers south to confront Judas, and he wasn't able to forge together a large enough army this time, and many of his countrymen abandoned him on the field of Elasa. At Elasa, Judas Maccabee is overwhelmed, and the Jewish army is defeated, and Judas is killed. And it's such a comeback story, though. Every account reads of Judas's men leaving him on the field of battle, yet Judas decides to hold his ground. I mean, he probably should have fled to the hills or forest and did the guerrilla warfare thing that he's done so successfully, but instead he fights and he gets overwhelmed and our great hero is killed. Two of his brothers, Jonathan and Simeon, continue the fight against the Seleucids until they achieve full independence a few years later. The kingdom will last almost a hundred years until the Romans arrive, and it will set the stage for the Jewish state by the time of Jesus, and this kingdom will become known as the Hasmonean kingdom. Judas Maccabee, the hammer, left a strong legacy of resistance and devotion to God. He's the extra-biblical hero, and his story involves battles with armies, with elephants, and superior odds, a resilience and tenacity like King David. He's a true hero. But all true heroes are not perfect men. And we'll end this episode with this great, well-documented error. We conclude this episode of Message to Kings with the Roman Treaty. The treaty that tied the Jewish state with the Roman state. I pull it from 1 Maccabees chapter 8. Oh yeah, I should probably clear up any confusion. Um, you guys know I normally pull from the NIV version of the Bible and rarely pull from the Apocrypha, which includes the additional books of the Bible that's um, in the Catholic Bible and some Orthodox versions. A quick history on this. The early church fathers decided to not include certain books if they did not have revelatory or heavenly components to it. Um, the book of Maccabees, the first book of Maccabees is, is basically a history book. Um, the second book of Maccabees is actually questionable in some aspects of the timing of the writing and even the authorship. It's a lot. It's it's supposedly written much later than the book of First Maccabees, um, but they weren't included for a variety of reasons. Uh, the first one is the book of Maccabees. The first one is just good history, and that's why I use it. Okay, so here's the treaty with the Jewish state made with Rome. Before I read it, consider what Paul says about being unequally yoked 
and how Joshua wasn't supposed to make allies with the ungodly, or how putting your faith in another over God has its consequences. According to 1 Maccabees chapter 8, May all go well with the Romans and with the nation of the Jews at sea and on land forever, and may sword and enemy be far from it. If war comes first to Rome or to any other their allies in all their dominion, the nation of the Jews shall act as their allies wholeheartedly as the occasion may indicate to them. To the enemy that makes war, they shall not give or supply grain, arms, money, or ships, just as Rome has decided, and they shall keep their obligations without receiving any return. And in the same way, if war comes first to the nation of the Jews, the Romans shall willingly act as their allies as the occasion may indicate to them. And to their enemies there shall not be given grain, arms, money, or ships, just as Rome has decided. And they shall keep these obligations and do so without deceit. Thus, on these terms, the Romans make a treaty with the Jewish people. And if after these terms are in effect, both parties shall determine to add or delete anything, they, they shall do so at their discretion. And any addition or deletion that they may make shall be valid. Concerning the wrongs that King Demetrius is doing to them, we have written to him as follows. Why have you made your yoke heavy on your friends and allies of the Jews? If not, they appeal again for help against you. We will defend their rights and fight you on sea and on land. Solomon's first decision was to marry the princess of Egypt. I don't think that was God's plan. And when he died, his kingdom was exposed. A raid by the descendants of the Pharaoh took the greatest of his treasures out of Jerusalem. He put his faith in Egypt and so many things, but Egypt ended up taking his wealth. Soul ties. The Maccabees put their faith in Rome. Judas Maccabee would die, but fortunately there would be a breakthrough soon after and great things, but it was only temporary. Rome would come. Rome was invited, and here they come. They will eventually pillage the country due to their reliance on them. The Maccabees put their faith in Rome, and Rome would come and strip it of its wealth. The same faith that the Maccabees had to lead the Great Revolt was a wholehearted dependence upon God and to call upon additional support from another idol-worshipping nation against the war with an idol-worshipping nation ended up creating an alliance and a tie that they didn't realize they were agreeing to. The Maccabees made an ally with an idol-worshipping enemy, and I find the actual language of the document interesting. Why have you made your yoke heavy on our friends and allies, the Jews? The Jews are no allies with the Romans. And I think it's fascinating that the word yoke was used. Eventually, the Jewish state would be under the thumb of the Roman state, and their yoke will be heavy. They exchange one yoke for another eventually, one that would destroy them in 70 AD, and even participate in the death of the Messiah. But as for now, the Hasmoneans, as they would come to be known, will rule or semi-rule Judah and Israel. Lots of conflicts will occur, but the Romans will come to claim that alliance in the time of Pompey the Great, Julius Caesar, Augustus, and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate will never be far away in the time of Jesus. In a moment between the power broker of this earth, Pontius Pilate, and the omnipotent God in the flesh, Jesus, Pilate will ask Jesus what he has done, 
And his response will be that his kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus says in John 18, 37, In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's response is the response of so many power brokers of this world, striving for power and in the power of the flesh, demanding loss of integrity and design and respect for mankind. His answer, what is truth? The Hasmoneans won't be the greatest role models for world history. The Jewish state wedged between the Seleucids, Egypt, and the eventual superpower of Rome will hold on for a bit in order for the solid cultural foundation of the synagogue system to be established and a power reemergence of the Old Testament teachings and the foundational truths to return. All of this will soften the hearts of the people caused by the hardening aspects of war and excessive Hellenization. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.